My Spy is the first spy movie released from a major studio in 2020, and it's not in a theater. But it's on Amazon Prime, so join us as we crack the code of My Spy. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzato. At SpyMovieNavigator.com. Thanks for joining us on our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Please subscribe to our show and tell your friends about us. And send us a message on Twitter now if you're out there listening. At Spy Navigator. We'd love to hear from you and love to know you're out there. Okay, so we finally have the first spy movie of the calendar year released with My Spy. Yeah! This, this movie was delayed multiple times. In our article and discussion of the upcoming movies of 2020, My Spy was supposed to be released in January. In reality, it was actually supposed to be released in 2019. They pushed it from January, and then we got COVID-19, and they had to push it again, and they finally decided to release it on Amazon Prime. So we're going to do this podcast as a quickfire release. What this means is we're going to release it very shortly after the movie releases. It's not likely to be included in the best of the rest category of our website, and we won't go as in-depth as we do on our other podcasts. That's the goal of the quickfire, get it out quickly after the release. That said, this movie is fine. It's not Goldfinger by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a nice story, has a PG-13 rating, and it does deserve that rating. My Spy is a spy comedy about a CIA operative, JJ, who's in charge of a big mission to prevent the terrorists from getting the technology plans and needed materials to build a miniaturized nuke. Starting off in Russia, with the contacts on the Russian side and the other terrorists who have developed the technology, JJ is an undercover agent acting as an international arms dealer, seemingly part of the plan to get the information needed to build the bomb. This terrorist, Hassan, is the one who wants the plutonium. And there's another guy, Azar. So these two guys are the ones who are key here. There's a connection somehow, and it will become apparent, between what is happening here in Russia and a woman in Chicago named Kate, who has a daughter, exceptionally bright and artistic and sophisticated. Haha, ha, that's a little joke because her daughter is named Sophie. No. I get it, sophisticated, so yeah. <laughs> Philosophy, the word, is love of wisdom from the Latin. So here you, that's our little joke on that. <laughs> it comes out that they used to live in Paris, and she apparently has no husband, Kate, and Sophie, no dad. Perhaps he's dead. We're going to find out as the story unfolds. Through one thing or another. Yeah, actually, Dan, let me interrupt you here yeah, for, for, for our listeners. When we do the quick fire, our goal is not to give away the movie. Definitely we, not going to give we, away the movie. <laughs> we want to give you some of what's there with the plot, but we don't want to give it away because we released these right after the movie came out. We want to encourage you either to see or not to see the movie based on kind of some of the background we're giving you. Yeah. Yeah. We want you to take a look and focus on a few things that we think are, are kind of cool in the movie. So, again, one way or another, J.J. gets assigned along with the CIA technical person, Bobby, a woman. B-O-B-B-I, to do surveillance on Kate and Sophie in Chicago. And it comes out that there is a indeed a connection between Kate and Sophie and the events that were happening in Russia in the pre-title sequence. Well, we, we do find out, and again, this is a slight giveaway, but you kind of need to understand this part, is that Sophie's uncle and Kate's brother-in-law, he's a bad guy who killed 
Kate's husband, which was his own brother. So he's a bad guy. Um, yeah, you don't see, you don't see that on camera or anything about this movie starts after that event. Yeah. So like many stories, this is a twofold story between the MacGuffin, the plans to be to be able to build this miniaturized nuclear weapon that can blow you gotta up. Gotta have city. a MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah. And the man of course the mandatory love interests of some of the characters. So there you have it. Pretty simple. Location wise, it's interesting. The movie was pretty much shot at Eastern Avenue Studios in Toronto, Canada. So, Dan, there one of the key shots here is JJ's running in a park, and you see the water, and then you see the Chicago skyline. So I would think that's got to be taken from Indiana, but the focal lens length has got to be kind of weird on that. But you see that shot in almost every movie about that has Chicago in it in at least the last 10 years. And I'm just not sure where they're taking that. Do you, do you know where that is? I I believe that some of the jogging with the skyline in the background across the water, uh, it's not from Indiana. That's too far for, for, the, for this. So I think that this is set at the museum campus, just is about a mile south of downtown Chicago. And th- there's a little strip of land that leads out to the Shedd Aquarium. And I think they might be there. Because if, you, if you're running along that land, you do see that body of water and, and the skyline across the water. So I think that's that's where they are. Yeah, because I know you see it in a lot of Chicago movies that are supposed to depict Chicago. And I'm like, where are they getting that shot? Yeah, when they're running in the park a little bit later and you cannot see the water. I thought maybe that was Lincoln Park, but I, I think it's probably Toronto. So that, that that's I don't think is Chicago. But anyway. OK, we're going to uh, we're going to have to go over there and investigate to see <laughs> which one. That's why we like when they're shot in Chicago. Yeah, it makes it easy. We can go try to figure that out. Yeah. All right. First of all, My Spy is an entertaining picture, and we would recommend seeing it. It's definitely a a family movie, though it is rated PG-13, probably because there are a few words in the dialogue. Not much, but there there are some words in there that may push it to PG-13. But there is violence, killings, (laughs) and talk of killing bad guys. A lot. What, one thing I do like is though there's killings, but there's not a lot of blood, which is yeah, re- kind of nice. Yeah, you don't see a lot of blood. It's not yeah. it's not that kind of a, a. Yeah, one guy one guy dies at the end. He gets shot, and you see his head jerk back, but there's no blood at all. There are there are some keywords like you said that are in here, yeah. and some of it by JJ, but also the music. And we'll talk a little bit more about the music in a little while. But the music that plays, especially the song on the ending credits. Yes, it has oh, yeah. some has some words in there that probably helped get this as a PG-13. Yeah, of course, we immediately see the contrast between the heavily tattooed, gruff, rough and gigantic Dave Bautista, who played Hanks, of course. Here he's playing J.J. Contrast that with the diminutive Sophie played excellently by Chloe Coleman. The contrasts are not only in size, but the entire film pits one against the other. Uh, on a more sophisticated level, one of wits. And Sophie is very bright and very clever and many times will outwit J.J. Yeah, I don't think J.J. comes off as very bright and clever. I'm going to give him a break here. (laughs) Anyway, that's, that's a fun element that runs throughout the film. And so you mix in a sprinkle or two of unlikely heroes and you can have a recipe that that is entertaining. 
Yeah, no, I actually think that they make JJ seem a little dumb to me, which does elevate Sophie's, how she comes across from a wit perspective. But then she says something in French, just kind of as an offhanded yeah. comment, and JJ responds to her in French, and she's really surprised by that. Yeah. So maybe he's not really stupid. Maybe it's more he's socially awkward, which in when we're looking at this from a spy movie, he's the spy, totally opposite from Bond. Well, again, for Sophie, they lived in Paris in France before her mom, Kate, and her, and before they moved to Chicago. So she knows French. She knows some French, apparently. But on JJ's part, yeah, okay, he's not he's not an Oxford guy. But <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But he's a tough military guy who knows his business. But I don't think he's stupid. I think he has worldly experience. As he explained at one point while when he's talking about he's killed bad guys all over the world. But yeah, he's no bond on polish and finesse and that kind of thing. And the ice skating rink, there's a scene in there when Sophie asks what he sees out there because he didn't want to ice skate one reason or another. He goes into a security speech, which is pretty cool. <laughs> that is so pretty it's good. Like, you'll, you'll hear that in the movie. You'll see that in the movie. You think, oh, okay. So he's not stupid. And at one point he says, the kid is tricky. I'm used to dealing with terrorists. So, <laughs> so okay. I think that's She's not fitting cute. his normal pattern. <laughs> so I think that's that's where he's coming off. Yeah, hey. now this, this is a spy comedy. So if yeah. you're a hardcore Bond fan or MI or Bourne fan, you're not going to get the level of spy stuff you see in those movies. No. This is closer to The Spy Next Door with Jackie Chan. We did a podcast on that. But, yeah. hey, that we liked that movie, too. It was fun. And this one's fun, too, if you come at it from the right way. Yeah. All right. So let's look at a couple of things that drive this movie. And these are things you're going to look out for when you're watching the movie, which we, we recommend you do. There are a couple of lines delivered by different characters that actually, though said once, permeate the entire unfolding of the story here. So look for this. Here's one. Quote, I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when you when you hear that, you'll see how that fits in even to stuff that happened before that line was said and stuff that happens after that line is said. And the other line to look out for is, Quote, it's scary what some people can keep secret. Okay, so keep those two things in mind as you're watching the movie. And a lot of things will unfold in your mind as, as, you're, as the plot is unfolding and you're watching. So it's fun. Now, the surveillance of Kate and Sophie is in Chicago. We love when movies, especially spy movies, are filmed in Chicago. Going to see the filming locations is fairly easy then. But. There are many Chicago scenes not filmed in Chicago. Oh, and they try to do some things to make you think it is. And we'll yeah. talk about that here. Chicago is a great city for films. And tons, tons of great films have been filmed in Chicago, like the Blues Brothers, Risky Business, Fer Ferris Bueller's Day Off, one of my favorites, 16 Candles, The Untouchables, Home Alone, Spider-Man, The Fugitive, tons of movies filmed in Chicago because Chicago has some great, great locations. So North by Northwest had a little bit. Yeah, right. So when some of the Chicago shots are shot somewhere else, being from Chicago, we're, we're a little bummed. We notice. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kate and Sophie live in the neighborhood called Wicker Park in the film. 
and we do have a neighborhood in Chicago called Wicker Park. So, hey, that's good. Yeah, but later in the movie, they say they're going to the town of Naperville to the <laughs> yeah. airport. Yeah. Now, Naperville is a town. It's a very large suburb, about 35 miles west of Chicago. Second However, largest city in Illinois. Yeah, it, do- it doesn't have an airport. Right? No. There's some airports around it. There are two very cool subdivisions in Naperville that have su- that have houses surrounding a runway. Right. And so they most of the people there have a small plane and a hangar at, on their property, and they just pull out onto the runway and they can go. Yeah, and it's but, like their little aero club or something. Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, right. But, but uh, <laughs> none of them have a cliff like you see in the movie. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they, they actually, that, of course, they didn't go to an airport in, in Naperville. <laughs> they, right, actually shot that air, they, they actually shot that airport scene at, I think it was Toronto Markham Airport. That's what it looks like. And the pit. I doubt that any airport is going to have a <laughs> a huge pit at the end of the runway. So ah. I don't know. That's that actually doesn't seem that unlikely to me. I don't know. That looks CGI to me. But uh, I mean, you see you see runways that come right off of a beach where the plane almost touches the bait the beach yeah, goes. We, I mean, we got one in know. Chicago where there's a big fence at the end of it, but and it's yeah. a short runway. But you know, at Midway. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> who who knows? But it wasn't filmed in Naperville. That's for sure. There's one scene they film. That's in a museum. There are dinosaur skeletons. And we actually have a very large dinosaur skeleton in the Field Museum here in Chicago. But they shot this scene in Toronto in a museum that, you know, they they had a dinosaur exhibit there as well. But again, being a Chicago person, it was really easy to notice that, hey, you didn't film that here. Yeah, I mean, we have a beautiful natural history museum, the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, which appears in the establishing shots of this movie, when they m- filmed the museum campus. Yeah, they're there. That we were talking about. Why don't about. you keep filming? <laughs> hey, step inside. And it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful building from, I believe it was from the Columbian Exposition in Chicago built. So, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful building. Yeah, and now another, another building. Hey, film it have, in there. <laughs> yeah, film it there. Now, an, another building they used in this, and they used it a couple times, is this red brick building. Sophie sketches it. And if you read the sign... It says Wicker Park on it, and we already That's established where they're supposed to live. Right. There's a Wicker Park in Chicago, yeah. but look, if you look carefully, like I did, uh, it's actually the Winchester Street Theater Company, which is in Toronto, Canada. They literally, if you if you actually froze the frame on it, you can actually see they put black yeah. black like sign over some wording there, and said Wicker Park, but the glass on the above the door gives it away. I mean, there's a there's a number of these instances where they're supposedly in Chicago filming, and you know, every movie does this, of course. But hey, we're from Chicago. The movie's supposed to be in Chicago. We want you to use Chicago for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, there's there's the ice skating rink too that they they go to, which you know we have a beautiful outdoor Millennium Park outdoor ice skating rink in Chicago. But did they use that one? No. It nope. looks like they went to, they, they were in Toronto, and it looks like they used, I poked around on the internet, and I found one that looked exactly like the one they used, Mel Lastman Square Ice Rink in North York, Ontario. Ah, so there's the movies. You know, they can do Movie whatever magic. they want. <laughs> Even the apartment building, I think, and the balcony scenes that you're going to see when you watch the movie, uh, that's the balcony scenes with Sophie, you can find in Toronto. That's where those buildings are. So they must have had some great tax breaks. 
up in Toronto for them to it's do am- this update. It's amazing how tax breaks make a difference on how you film things. Yeah. Now, the establishing shots of the museum campus, as we said, where we have the Field Museum of Natural History, the Adler Planetarium, and the Shedd Aquarium that I mentioned earlier, where I think they were running when they were jogging. Those are real shots. And so is the skyline, which is shown a couple of times. It's a great skyline. In the film, yeah. The aerial shot of downtown Chicago with Marina City, those are the two big round buildings. And we had a friend that used to have a condo there. They're bizarre. They're pie-shaped condos, hard to furnish. But they're kind of cool. And other movies have been filmed with using Marina City, too. And it's all along the Chicago River. All those are... Real shots. Those are great establishing shots. And there's also a long shot of downtown Chicago shot from the Southwest, which they kind of hint in the film is where Kate and Sophie live. That's not where Wicker Park is. That's not where Wicker Park is. (laughs) They live north and west of downtown if they're really in Wicker Park. So, okay, maybe we're being a little, little picky here, Dan. I'm not sure. The night shot of the Chicago skyline is spectacular in the film. And Chicago really is rated one of the best big city skylines in the United States. And it really is. From out on the water in Lake Michigan, if you're on a boat, Lake Michigan, one of the great lakes, the largest body of fresh water in the world, the skyline is stunning. It's beautiful. If you ever come and visit Chicago, take a nighttime boat ride. It's just spectacular. It is. And in the pre-title sequence, it's, it all starts off, J.J. is in Pripyat, I think that's how you pronounce it, in the Ukraine. And I always give you the hard words. <laughs> yeah, I'll hear about it. It's a Chernobyl nuclear power plant, reactor number three, of which is abandoned. So it says all that. The deal is supposed to go down here to get the plutonium in exchange for diamonds. Ooh, beautiful diamonds. So J.J., an undercover guy uh, acting as an international weapons dealer, is trying to find out what all these guys know. That was his job. And J.J. has his team secretly hiding there in different spots. There are Russian soldiers. There's a guy named Azar Ahmadi who is supposed to get the plutonium and the plans and so on. The other guy, Hassan. Again, the goal is to make these miniaturized nukes. For terrorists. So things don't go exactly as planned. And some things happen here. But the one thing I think is kind of funny, virtually everyone here except Azar and JJ <laughs> do not fare well. <laughs> I'll just say that. It is an and, interesting fight scene. <laughs> yeah, you'll see some some Sam Peckinpah-ish effects here <laughs> if you're familiar <laughs> with that stuff in the old days. When he was doing films, you'll see a little bit of that. But there's one part where they suspect J.J., one of the, uh, I think it was... uh, Hassan. Hassan, yeah. And he says, J.J. says, I'm just a guy standing in front of another guy asking him not to shoot. And immediately I'm thinking, Notting Hill! But I didn't have to think, because as quick as I could think that, his boss, Kim... David Kim, who's watching, all the CIA people are watching on camera, all this thing unfolding, right? His boss, Kim, is watching it, and he immediately says, oh, Christ, Notting Hill. <laughs> well, and there I is... that the first time. There <laughs> is a clip later uh, yeah. where Dave Bautista is watching Notting Hill. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so they, they're bringing that full circle on that. And there's a couple of other, there's a couple of these kind of moments in the film that you'll find funny. And, and yeah, now, now I actually like this pre-title sequence and there were a few things in it that I think were inspired by previous spy movie. For instance, during the big fight, JJ shoots some tanks of that, of something that, that explode. I don't know what they are. And it gives him some cover. We see Jason Bourne do this in the Bourne identity when he's at Eamon's house or farm or whatever that was with Marie. It's when he realizes that somebody's outside and it's, it's yes. the professor and he goes out there and he us. shoots that tank to create a diversion. And so that's kind of what JJ does here. And then that thing explodes. And then in Quantum of Solace, we see Bond shoot a tank that explodes, not to create a diversion, but to help get, create an escape route. So in, in the Quantum of Solace, it's not exactly the same thing, but the agent shoots at something that's going, some tanks that are going to explode to give give them a benefit. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And of course, you know, it's a spy movie. You have to have some explosions. You got to have some things blown up. I, I mean, it's mandatory now. So... Well, and when they do the explosions now, you see this in a bunch of movies. The, who, whoever created the explosion does a slow walk away. The explosion happens behind the person. They don't even turn to look. They yeah, just uh, yeah, there's a cool part in the movie, too, you'll like uh, towards the end. Yeah. So it's, it becomes a, it's something you see in a lot of different movies, but then it actually becomes a plot point in this movie. So, yeah, actually, so, I, when I saw all this happening, and then, of course they're chasing him in a car and shooting rocket launches at him, I, I, I immediately think of License to Kill, of course, where they miss Bond, of course, and they hit Sanchez's other trucks and stuff. So the same kind of thing has happened in lots of movies. Yeah, and they do they do a cool stunt too. here with that, where he's getting chased and these two guys are shooting at him, and he somehow gets out of the way. Yeah, and and mayhem <laughs> for yeah. the people yeah. that shot. Per, uh, happen so it's kind of interesting yeah it's the same kind of thing in the license to kill thing yeah so so one thing i found interesting in the pre-title sequence and i really did like the pre-title sequence was the use too. of it was the use of music and actually throughout the film i think some of the music choices are to my taste interesting <laughs> <laughs> that's a good word <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that I would have made the same music choices that they did but i, I wasn't getting paid to do that nobody asked me so during the there's some slow motion stuff in the in this fight that happens in the pre-title and they play some type of uh, opera music. It may have been Kalinka, but I'm not positive. It was I wasn't sure what it was, but it, it seemed weird to me that they would cut to that. Then we get into 99 Luft Balloons, which is a, I really like that one. And for the scene, it actually it actually worked. But then we get I Will Survive. My heart will go on. And then finally, Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah. Like, what what generation is this from? Now, Dave Bautista is in his 50s, but Britney Spears, I think, would be a little late for him. For him and he really liked it. So it it, it was a really well, uh, uh, eclectic whole, pick of music for me. The whole scene is amusing, the car scene with the radio bit and so on. So people pay attention to that when he's doing it. It's kind of fun and, <laughs> and funny. It's a cute little it's a cute little routine in the movie. So after the mission, JJ's CIA boss, David Kim, played by Ken Young, is furious with him and tells him the mission was not just to stop the sale. The goal was to find out 
what these players knew so that the CIA could take out the rest of their network, take them down. This reminded me, of course, of Casino Royale, 2006, when Bond gets rebuked for killing the bomb maker, Malacca, in Madagascar instead of finding out about his network and so on. So it was a similar kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, how many times did M in, in the Bond series come along with something along the likes of, it would be nice if you didn't kill everyone so you could actually question somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That came up a couple times in Quantum as well. Yeah. Now, the other thing is it was really good for me to see to see Young play a non-comedic role. He's one of those actors that I really like. I think he's a hilarious comedic actor. But it was great to see him play in this non-comedic role. And I think he did a really good job here. Yeah, I, I think he was a... Was he a doctor? I think he was a doctor in real life, wasn't he? Or, or... I don't I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I for me, I, I thought he was the one character that I, I thought was not well cast. And yeah, I thought I he seemed him. an odd guy to be running the CIA. And he looked too much to be a mild book learned kind of guy as opposed to a, you know, kind of a rough and tough CIA kind of guy. But I grew to like him a little throughout the movie. And on the killing everybody thing, yeah, we have that little connection with Bond. But J.J. is anything but like Bond. <laughs> his suits, is he's a big guy. Oh, wait, wait. And, I made a note of this, too. Because uh, when you see him in that suit, this thing didn't fit him. Oh, right in the beginning? Him. Yeah, it didn't oh, yeah, fit yeah, him yeah. well. I mean, he was definitely not wearing a Briani, Tom Ford, <laughs> Turnbull and Astor clothes in this one. It was yeah. like, wow, who, who yeah. did the, who did, I mean, was that, were they trying to make it look that way or was it just a weird camera shot? Cause it was yeah, like, he, whoa, kind of waddling like a duck too. But, but again, he is a big guy. He's he, he definitely not bond like in that regard. He eats out of Chinese takeout containers. He lives in a modest place. He's not sophisticated and worldly on the finer things in life kind of stuff. Oh, oh yeah, there was there was no hmm Royal Beluga north of the Caspian, <laughs> like in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Now you're not going to find that here, but he is a killer and he's killed a lot of bad men. He was in the military as well. And he's kind of a loner, pretty much like Bond, but he does have he does have a pet fish named Blueberry. So that's kind of cute and a cute little theme in the movie, too. So watch out for Blueberry. <laughs> so instead of continuing on the case to find the plans of the miniaturization of nuclear weapons, his boss is so mad at him, he assigns J.J. to surveillance with Bobby, as we said up front. She's a woman, a CIA tech person, but really a civilian. She's not an agent. And she's good at setting up uh, hidden cameras, monitoring equipment, hacking in the networks, and all that kind of stuff. Wait, wait. She does work for the CIA, so I don't think that makes her a civilian. Yeah, I think they actually call her a civilian in the, in hmm, the actual I movie. I think he actually called her that. But I mean, she's, uh, not an a- she's not an agent. but the- Definitely not an agent. But Bobby, is, I think she does a great job. Kristen Schaal. Oh, she's fabulous. Yeah. I mean, I've I liked her since she was in the Flight of the Concords. She did stuff before then, but that's where I first noticed her. Yeah. I mean, she had she had some humor to this movie without making it look like she's trying to add add the humor. And she also plays the tech geek very well without like the glasses and some of the mannerisms you sometimes see out of the tech geek. I mean, given that, Dan, you and I were in the tech industry, in the computer industry for years, I appreciated the way she was played because you definitely, she was a geek, but she wasn't done the way that you see it so often done. She seemed real, 
not like the movie was trying to do the stereotypical geek and uh, uh, kudos to them and to to uh, Kristen to play it that way. Yeah, I agree. She did a she was well cast, did a great job, very believable job as Bobby, the non-agent working for the CIA. So I, I, I liked her a lot. She was she was good. I also found it interesting. And again, keeping with this character, there's a shot of her reading Popular Science, which is a real magazine. Then in another scene, she's reading a magazine called Abend. Now, if you're not in the computer industry, you might not know that term. And I've not been able to find a magazine with that title. So I think they made it up for here. It might just be some little joke because Abend is really a term from the mainframe days which means abnormal ending. That's the ab end. Today, you might think of it as a an app crashing or a blue screen of death. Those would be ab ends that would happen. So yes. I think I think the title of that magazine was really a nod to some of the geeks and like me, and I, I really appreciate it. Plus, she's enthralled with JJ's history. She knows it like the back of her hand, the guns, the fighting. The, she thinks that's the exciting part of spy life, but she's never done it. She doesn't know how to do it. And as we'll see, <laughs> something as basic as firing a gun becomes yeah. problematic. She does say at one point, maybe I become the action, surprising everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, she's in her own head thinking, oh, you know, this agent thing is kind of cool. Yeah. And she, she wants- thinks JJ is kind of cool. Yeah. She wants to get there, but doesn't know how to get there. And then even in another scene, just just from the humor perspective, Dave Bautista, big guy, he's doing arm curls with five-gallon jugs of water. So those weigh about 43 pounds. And she's sitting there with a 12-ounce bottle of water doing an arm curl. It just nothing said about it. It just I saw that and just it totally cracked me up. Yeah, I, I noted the, the same thing with the water bottle. I, I thought maybe she had a 16-ounce, a 16.9-ounce bottle or something. Well, it it might have been, whatever. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't a five-gallon. But it was quietly played by her, like she was trying to be like J.J., an agent, but just unconsciously doing what he was doing. And, and she played it off perfectly. So yeah, that's great. a cool scene to keep an eye on. So there they are in Chicago. While the CIA agent, Christina, and her team are, are in Paris or Berlin or wherever they had to be to track down this stuff and the culprits that they were supposed to be tracking, J.J. is not pleased because that's what he wanted to be doing. Yeah, he wanted to go there. Yeah, there's a subtle reference to how low he is on the totem pole at this moment. When Bobby, they show a scene of Bobby driving the van, AJ is assigned the passenger seat. I thought that was kind of meaningful. Yeah, because he's used to doing, he's used to being in charge. Yeah. So I I thought that little shot was telling. And I think they did it on purpose. And it was good to pick up on that and said, you, you'll see it as you're going through the movie. It's kind of like, ah, yeah, he is kind of down low on the totem pole. Again, we're not going to give the movie away, but JJ's up against a very, very smart nine-year-old kid, Sophie, who, as we mentioned, outwits him frequently. And she, she tracks down what they're doing on their surveillance mission. And <laughs> this is, yeah, you, you need to know this because this is the whole movie part of what goes on. She promises not to tell her mom about what she found as she videoed them, JJ and Bobby, with <laughs> all of their equipment. And she promises, yeah, no, I'm not going to send this up to the cloud and share it with everybody if you do what I say. It's so, a different world now for these spies now that everybody's got a, a cell phone that can take video. 
I love that. She's terrific. She's just, Chloe is terrific at this. She wants him to take her to the ice skating rink because her mom can't because of her mom works at county hospital. We do have a county hospital. She's a nurse and she got an extra shift. So one of the things she's like, hey, take me ice skating and, and so on because her friends from school, her new school, were going to be there and so on. And of course, she keeps asking for more, as you would think. <laughs> again, this is like, the spy next door more than other spy movies that we've seen with the smart kid, Ian, who was played by Will Shadley. That, he, he does a great job in that film as well. Again, we do have a podcast on that. So yeah, now one, one thing that I do want to point out here is Sophie plays the nine-year-old. Remember this is PG 13. Yeah. Even though one of the, the main actors is playing a nine-year-old kid. Yeah. Lots of things are unfolding here with again, really good acting. And she meets challenge after challenge because she tells JJ that she'd like to be a spy too. So he kind of throws out challenges at her and she accomplishes them. She's like, yeah, this is no big deal. And she's kind of cool in addition to doing all of this and driving JJ crazy. So just watch for her balcony appearances after eating hot dogs at a hot dog cart. Again, that scene was supposed to be Chicago, but that's Toronto. I might just add, and uh, how she can get past JJ on his challenges and more. Yeah, it's so these these fun, these cute stuff. Yeah, and those challenges are where he's trying to teach her how to do how to do spy stuff. She so wants, he's right. yeah, because she asked for that. Okay, so he starts with teaching her how to try to fake a lie detector test and how to beat it. Yeah, yeah. and then. If you saw the 2001 movie Spy Game, it was with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. That one, he ha- Robert Redford's character, Muir, has to teach Brad Pitt's character, Tom, how to do the spy stuff. So it's almost exactly like what they do here in, in My Spy. In fact, some of it is exact. So in that, some stuff. They're definitely doing that. And that's part of what we do in our podcast here is talk about where one yeah. movie might influence another. So in this scene in Spy Game, Robert Redford's character is teaching Brad Pitt's character how to beat a lie detector. Then there's the balcony challenge. And we won't give away the balcony challenge here no. if you haven't seen Spy Game, but it is almost done verbatim from what they did in Spy Game from the dialogue perspective. However, in this movie, Sophie ends up on a balcony with an older woman, and Sophie looks like she's got a glass of milk in her hand. In Spy Game, Tom, Brad Pitt's character, ends up on a balcony. It looks like he's holding a cup of coffee, and he's with an older gentleman. Mm-hmm. Then it gets a little weird, because in Spy Game, there's only one balcony. In this one, Sophie's on another balcony with what looks like an Asian couple, and she's got a bowl of rice. She's got chopsticks. Yeah, I thought it was weird that they added the second balcony because it wasn't part of the challenge. And it was almost to me like they filmed it two ways and didn't know which one to go with. So they uh, put both in the movie. No, I think I I, I disagree. I think she actually, actually, she appears on a third balcony. uh, But we're not going to even, we won't detail all of the, all the stuff that's going on here. But I think the significance was that she's this nine-year-old kid who's got a 10 minute challenge and she's showing how good she is. She's like, not only do I don't need 10 minutes to do this, I could do this multiple times. So I think again, it was just another way to, to get JJ. And JJ gave her a break. He gave her 10 minutes in spy game. It was a five minute challenge. So, (laughs) right. But 
Yeah, she didn't need 10. So now JJ, he's a tough guy. He looks like a tough guy, right? And he has a job to do. So he does not want to be involved with personal things, with taking care of Sophie or the mom, Kate, and all that kind of stuff. But as you see the story unfolding and how, again, very much like the spy next door, where the kids start off hating Bob Ho, Jackie Chan, but eventually grow to love him along with their single mom. Here you see the battle of wits and non-involvement slowly moving in a different direction. And so you need to keep an eye on that to see what might possibly happen, how it will end up. You know, we'll leave it for you to watch and see all of that. But there are chase scenes, of course, some explosions and fireworks, of course, and some tender moments. And it's fun to see. And there are a few surprises along the way as well. Yeah, and there's some other references, nods, if you will, to earlier movies. So for those of you who saw E.T., the extraterrestrial, (laughs) you may remember there's a scene in there when E.T. is hiding in a closet with all these stuffed toys and Elliot's mom looks in the closet and you've got all the stuffed toys and and E.T.'s hiding there. Look for something similar in this movie with Sophie's mom, Kate. As soon as I saw that, I scribbled in my notes, E.T. phone home. (laughs) (laughs) I actually went and rewatched E.T. last night just because I was like, I got to see that scene again to remember. Is it exactly like I thought it was? And they definitely are doing a tip of the hat at that point to that movie. So then Bobby also mentions a few times about things with different movie references. And one of them, towards the end of the movie, she quips, is it just me or does this seem familiar? I mean, the propeller and the fuel tank. It's like all we're missing is the Nazis. Yeah. Now, given what's happening in this scene, this is obviously a reference back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. She doesn't say it, but yeah. that's what the, that reference is, is for. And then in one scene towards the end, J.J.'s boss is playing a video of J.J. dancing in a scene, and he's he's dancing with Kate. And when David Kim plays it, it starts out with the title, and Bobby's looking at it, and she says, this looks like the wedding at the end of Shrek. And she's right. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> and the video, when, when Kim plays it, it says, the Hulk meets Meghan Markle. Now, this is actually a reference to the actress who's playing Sophie's mom. So the Hulk being like the big Hulky Dave Bautista. Yeah. But the actress, Parisa Fitzhenley, she played Meghan Markle in the TV movie, Harry and Meghan, or Royal Romance. So they did a really nice tie back to that. It was subtle. If you didn't know the the movie existed, the TV movie existed, you'd be like, mm, whatever. But if you knew about the TV movie, they'd be like, ah, I get it. Yeah, I think the fun thing here is that they, they're blatantly doing it and blatantly telling you they're doing it many times in the movie. Unlike Charlie's Angels, where they just did it. And, you know, we found out, of course, in our our podcast on Charlie's Angels. You could listen to that too, what we thought of that. But here they're they're actually taking these concepts almost word for word in some cases from other movies, but they're telling you they did it. Like, wow, Notting Hill. Oh, this, that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh boy, all we're missing is the Nazis. That's all but saying, oh, this feels like Raiders the Lost Ark. To me, that that was clever and it added a, a different dimension to the movie as opposed to just like, okay, they took that from Raiders or the this is like they're telling you right in your face, hey. Yeah, now they didn't tell you about the one with Spy Game, but I guess right. they they can't tell you all of them. 
Yeah, but it, yeah. It, it, it was it, funny. I, I like that part. There's also a bit of a reversal from a scene from the Bourne identity. In that movie, Bourne is driving Marie's old beat-up Cooper. Yeah. And they're being chased by the police with the cars and the motorcycles. You remember he goes down the stairs at that long stairway in the Cooper. In My Spy, JJ and Kate chase Victor Marquez. He's driving a Jaguar F-Type, real nice, fast coupe. (laughs) They're in a Fiat 500, right? Similar type of thing. This car that should not be doing this chase. There's no way that you should be able to keep up with this Jaguar. They did have a little help from traffic, but I just love the use of the pedestrian car in both of these movies. It's like, this car shouldn't be doing this. And yet they're out there trying to do it. And it just, it just, I just totally loved it. Yeah. And the chase, of course, there, Victor Marquez is trying to get to the Naperville airport from their apartment uh, in Wicker Park. Yeah. From the apartment in Wicker Park. Well, it's called a different, uh, it's Callahan Field, I think the science. Yeah, that's what they, they that's there, what right? they called it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Naperville, like Tom said, it's about 30, 35 miles away from that area where they're located. And they're there in just minutes. It's amazing. It's, it's movie <laughs> magic. Or maybe they filmed it during the coronavirus pandemic when there yeah. was nobody on the streets. You pretty much get there in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, they also did a lot of quips. So for the Bond fans who like the quips that are in there, they throw a bunch of these quips in here. We're not going to go through all of them. You can just go ahead and pay attention for those. So tune in to My Spy on Amazon Prime right now and enjoy an entertaining movie. And it's really about an hour and 40 minutes. Time well spent. Get some popcorn. Enjoy with the family. Again, PG-13, but it's a fun movie. Very much like The Spy Next Door was a fun movie. Do that now. Take a look. Let us know what you think of this podcast. Please subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Check out our YouTube videos as well. And tell your friends about us. That all helps us a lot and helps us keep going. And if you're out there listening to us now, hey, send us a post on Twitter, at Spy Navigator, and let us know you're out there listening. Tell us where you are and where you're listening from. It would be fun to hear from you and great to know that you're out there listening. Oh, we, we love it when we get that. Yeah. Yeah, we'd love to know you're out there listening and let us know at Spy Navigator on Twitter. This has been Tom Pizzotto and Dan Silvestri of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Thanks for joining us on our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. We appreciate you listening. Thank you.